we read, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases wealth and increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Since having kids, we have discovered that we need a holiday break after most holiday breaks. No matter how uplifting or encouraging time with family has been, no matter if we've had a week of adventures or just days upon days of rest, even if our children have gotten everything on their Christmas list and eaten their favorite treats every single day, every major holiday, sometimes even vacation, feels like it requires a built-in recovery time. Part of this, I guess, should be expected. Traveling to see family in a car or on a plane can make anyone weary. It's just exhausting going to the airport, much less sitting uh, you know, on a plane that might have a lot of turbulence with a whole bunch of strangers. It takes a long time, even driving through Atlanta. My family lives just on the other side. They might as well live on the other side of the country. <laughs> really, it takes a long time. The loss of routines over the holiday breaks can be hard for little ones. Uh, our, our youngest, Sam, is two, and uh, he loves skipping his naps, but we don't. Uh, we do not love it when he skips his nap. There's extra stress concerning parents, uh, uh, concerning presents or baking. There's the natural anxiety of being around your extended family, the responsibility of caring not just for yourself, but your kids. And sometimes at big family functions, you must step in when your nieces or nephews decide to flush cashews down the toilet. And you are inexplicably the only adult around to say, no, don't do that. It's very strange. I don't know where any other adult was. I was somehow there watching. <laughs> Although designed to give us a break from our daily pressures, our holidays, our vacations, our weekends away, none of them ever seem to renew or restore us in the way that we want or need. You know, we, we do find moments of time that help us escape our overloaded schedules. But it always seems like too little against the ever-present growing weariness of living in this broken world we call home. Whatever refreshment we do find is often undone by the frantic pace of our normal lives, the legitimate concerns and anxieties that we have for our friends, our family, and the future, the unspoken of ex- exhaustion of simply being human. On one level, our weariness is easy to explain. We have seasons that demand much of us, claiming more of the year and commandeering more of our time and energy, and that leaves us in busy in a practical tangible sense. You probably know what I'm talking about, even if you've been retired 
uh, for years. We have the, the usual responsibilities of, of family life. We want to make sure that everybody is fed and clean and safe. We need to make sure that clothes are clean and the car won't break down. It takes effort and energy to take care of the people that we love, even if there's no extra demands on their health. It's hard to provide balanced nutrition to a child or grandchild that only eats buttered noodles and apples. Right? It's hard. How do we get the good things into them? Even more difficult to take care of someone you love that's recovering from a health issue, even if it's a small one. Then we have everything we're involved with outside the home. We fill our calendars up with good things. Our calendars usually aren't full of bad things that we don't want to do, but they keep us busy, and we end up feeling depleted at the end of the day. We want to see our children sing in the chorus at school or grandchildren doing well in sports because we want them to succeed and flourish, and so we go there to support them. The groups, all the things that we do in which we participate, also, they do good things. We enjoy being a part of them. The social plans we make with friends and family bring us joy. It's good. But eventually, the busyness of life itself catches up with us. At that point, even if our schedule, our calendar, is full of wonderful things, it still feels like everything, even activities at church, are reduced to just another thing to check off the list. With all our rushing around, deliberate moments of rest are few and far between. Instead of flourishing, we float through life, bouncing from one appointment to the next, never feeling grounded and always feeling more and more exhausted. Writer Anne Voskamp describes that kind of life in this way. She says, by default, most of us have taken the dare to simply survive, exist, get through things. For the most part, we live numb to life. We've grown weary and apathetic and jaded and wounded. So, in those moments when summer rolls around or holidays appear on the horizon, or we plan a weekend getaway, or maybe just an afternoon to do what we want to do, to read or take a walk or just be, we hope that the rest and renewal our bodies and minds desire is within our reach. Maybe a week away from the stresses and grind of our schedules is all we need to get back on our feet to feel better. Sometimes those short breaks work. Faced with the overwhelming nature of our lives, the refreshment, however, we find in those moments fade over time. Deep down, we know fleeting moments of rest aren't enough to keep us going. To relieve the burden that we carry, we need something greater. We need someone to help us take the weight off our shoulders so we can catch a breath. We need someone who will help us carry it, or even better, carry us too. To find a solution, though, we have to be clear about the true cause of our weariness. Usually, we reasonably assume our tiredness comes from some external source. We look at our schedules and routines and think, oh, if I could just cut something out, if I could just step away from that thing, uh, then life would be better. If I could have a moment of quiet 
during the day, then I wouldn't be so worn out. If I can avoid all that traffic or just get a cup of coffee and just sit and think, I wouldn't be so exhausted at the end of the day. The pace of our lives make us tired, just like living in such a broken world makes us tired. We ache for rest and renewal for just a moment where we can step away from the chaos and catch our breath. But even if we cut our schedule down to the minimum, if we cleared our calendar and canceled every appointment, our weariness would remain. The tiredness we feel doesn't just come from what we do or how we keep ourselves busy, but from within. The root cause of our fatigue isn't what's happening around or even to us, but inside us. Our weariness begins in our own unsettled souls. Ever since the garden, we have suffered from a a fatal lack of connection to God's kingdom. And more importantly, God himself. The spiritual exhaustion that we feel flows not from our activities or even what we've had to endure as humanity in this broken world, but our separation from the source of life itself. We experience such overwhelming weariness because we consistently run away from the renewing reservoir of a grace our God offers when we walk with him in our daily lives. Isaiah describes the nature of our weariness in a prophecy given to the children of God who, like us, had collapsed into spiritual exhaustion. For over 150 years, Israel had cried out to their God for help as Babylon their neighbor, invaded, conquered, and forced them into slavery in foreign lands. Now, in that time, the Babylonians redefined uh, the term the worst that could happen on multiple levels over and over again. Not only was Israel conquered, which was bad enough, but the temple was destroyed. Not only were they exiled, there had been no timeline, no itinerary for their return. They never knew if this was going to end. One scholar wrote that for the Israelites in exile who've been carted off into slavery, there seemed to be no one to comfort, no protector, no one to intervene, no one powerful enough to make a positive difference. For too long, the people of Israel, Judah, and dislocation experienced its life bereft of possibility. The children of God were tired of existing, of waiting for something good to happen. In verses 29 and 30, the Lord uses the Hebrew word ge'af, which means tired, weary, or liable to faint, to describe how the Israelites have been overcome by the world around them. Now again, on a tangible level, this makes sense. They've been conquered. They've been left without a a word of hope for over a century. But Yahweh wants them to understand that their weariness is deeper than that. He isn't just talking about what happened with Babylon. He wants the people to recognize their weariness, their exhaustion, began long before that catastrophe. Their weariness actually started the moment they turned from God and began to order their lives according not to what he commanded, but what they thought 
best. As children of God, they uh, were called, commanded to rely on the infinite resources of a loving and powerful God. To put their faith uh, in his strength and the power. But that's not what they did. They ended up putting their, uh, their faith in their own ideas of strength and power. The invasion that followed was a consequence of walking away and apart from their God. Their Israelites believed they could manage life on their own without the Lord's help or guidance. But when they stepped away from that relationship, they cut off their connection to the one thing that gave them life. The one thing that could give them rest. The one thing that could actually offer them renewal. It's like an astronaut on a spacewalk suddenly thinking he'll be fine on his own and cuts off his lifeline. When we separate ourselves from God, we drift towards spiritual exhaustion. We drift toward just existing instead of flourishing. But in the middle of their despair, the Lord offers his children a word of hope. The rest that they crave, the hope they need is coming. Using the same word for weary, Isaiah adds a negative prefix to describe the renewal available to the children of God. Gently, gently, Isaiah reminds them the Lord who loves them is actually never weary. He's never tired and will always be watching out for them. One scholar says it like this, Yahweh's work as as creator is not a one-time deal. That he created the earth and then was done. But a continuing work that entails his endless energetic attentiveness to creation. Yahweh, our God, is not worn out, not exhausted. He is directly attentive to the faint and powerless, to those who have no energy of their own. The same God that looks after you not only created the world but has always been moving and working for the benefit of his children. Unlike us, the God of Israel that we know in Jesus never wearies in making this world and his children new. He never faints. He never gets tired. He never sleeps. And he is always working to move into the lives of his children. Even more surprising, however, is the next promise that we see in Isaiah, that we see in this prophecy. This Lord, who never gets tired, is willing to share his own strength and power with his children anytime they ask. In the depths of their exhaustion and weariness, Isaiah provides the people of Israel a drastic either-or option. Each person that hears this prophecy, has the option to either remain weary or exhausted or find the strength to run and to walk and to fly like eagles, to endure and never be tired again. Their strength and hope rests on nothing but the presence of God. Scottish theologian George MacDonald writes this, It is vain to think that any weariness, however caused, any burden, however slight, may be got rid of otherwise than by bowing the neck to the yoke of the Father's will. There can be no rest for heart and soul. 
from every burden, from every anxiety, from all dread of shame or loss, even loss of love itself. This one relationship sets us free. The promise that God provides to his children here is explicitly comprehensive. He isn't just offering the Israelites, nor does he offer us, moments of refreshment every now and then, but a restored connection to himself. In verse 31, the Hebrew word for strength is used twice, one right after another to convey a one-for-one exchange. Like taking off old clothes and putting on new ones, we exchange our weakness for his power. And continuing through that verse, Isaiah proclaims that those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. That is the promise. But notice what Isaiah is telling a defeated nation. Slaves under bondage. Their strength shall be continually renewed so they might be lifted above everything That weighs them down. They shall run and not be weary. They'll walk and they won't be faint. The promise here isn't that God will manage the people's weariness. The promise is that God will overcome it. See, the good news this morning is that that was not something the Israelites could do on their own. It wasn't something that they could do on their own. They had been crushed by the broken world. And it isn't something that we can do today either. We cannot find rest and renewal on our own. We can't renew our own strength. Eventually, we run out. Our resources end. But that is not the same in God. Out of love for his children, our God sent Jesus to initiate the most absurd and wonderful exchange in history. On the cross, Jesus takes our human weakness and replaces it with his divine strength, exchanging our finite inability for his infinite capability. That is a wonderful rate of exchange. Jonathan Edwards explains it this way. Christ is not only a remedy for your weariness and trouble, but he will give you an abundance of the contrary. He will give you joy and delight. They who come to Christ do not only come to a resting place after they have been wandering in a wilderness, but they come to a banqueting house where they may rest and where they may feast. They may cease from their former troubles and toils And they may enter a course of delights and spiritual joys forever. Brothers and sisters, the kind of renewal promised in Isaiah and fulfilled in Jesus is more than a simple filling up the tank. It is a transformation. The renewal that we find in Jesus is not just designed to to provide us with more energy so we can get through the day, but so we might be made more like Jesus. C.S. Lewis wrote, God became man to turn creatures into children, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. We may be tired 
of watching the world continue to catch fire and fall apart. We may be tired of being busy. We may be tired, like Langston Hughes once wrote, tired of waiting for the world to be good and beautiful and kind. But the renewal Jesus offers at the cross changes us from the inside out, enabling us to soar whenever we meet a crisis, react with purpose and peace when challenges surround us, and walk faithfully and with hope through the daily demands of our everyday life. That is the renewal that Jesus offers. So this Advent season, remember, hold on to the reality that Jesus comes not only to rescue us from the weariness of this life, but connect us to himself. Connect himself, connecting us to a reservoir of his grace and love. Alleluia. Amen.